Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Andrew. I'm Rach. Yes, you are. And we are Picture the Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aimed to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Each week, we delve into the murky world of lesser-known crimes from the UK and Ireland, and occasionally, we also venture into renowned cases from around the globe. If you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer, subscribe to us where you can, and if you have the capability, give us a rating review as well. So, if you like us that much that you want to support us, and see us carry on doing this for the foreseeable, then please do head over to Patreon where you can support us for as little as £1 a month. We have bonus content and episodes, and depending on your tier, it really does help us carry on. And as and we've just recorded a welcome to Charlie Louise, what we placed back in episode three, haven't we, Rachel? We have, we have. So welcome again, Charlie Louise, a double mention. Yes, um, nine weeks apart, though, to be fair. Um, whilst I was on mute, I was also um, saying, don't sound so enthusiastic. And we oh, don't know what happened there. I was also saying, don't sound so enthusiastic, Andrew, but I can't remember at what point I said it. But at some point, I don't think you sound very enthusiastic. Well, there you go, everyone. If I didn't sound very enthusiastic, I've just been told. Um, and But as with any true kind podcast, this listener discretion is always advised. And today there is no exception. Hope that was enthusiastic enough, was it? It was, it was. We do where possible now release our episodes a week early for our Patreon supporters. So if you want to hear next week's episode today, head over to Patreon. So, Rachel, how are you doing? I'm really good, thank you, Andrew. How are you? I'm good, everyone. It was Rachel's birthday yesterday. Now, I know you're listening to this in maybe February, but it was Rachel's birthday on the 28th of November. So, let's give wish everyone. Let's not wish everyone. Let's everyone wish Rachel a very happy belated birthday. Oh, um, and thank you. And and if anyone else's birthday was yesterday, or in fact today, or any time in the future, we do wish you a happy birthday as well. We do indeed. So I'm glad you're okay. You're looking very chipper today. Are you? Are you ready for some true crime? I can't wait. Um, yeah, I'm uh, officially on maternity leave, so there's nothing, nothing I can't be chipper about. So let's get this started then, shall we? If it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. Today I'd like to take us back to the 27th of November 2019. And today we're off to Cambridge. Now Cambridge is probably a town known all over the world due to its famous university that's recognised as one of the best in the world. And it was founded in 1209. Did you know that, Rachel? What's so it? Cambridge University was founded in 1209. Yes. Wow, I did not know that. That's that's some history at Stoughton then. Yes, but even if you did know that, or anyone oh. out there, what you probably don't know is that the university was formed by Oxford University students who fled from Oxford under the threat of persecution. Now, I only mention this because it involves true crime. So I'll give you a little, little history, true crime history here. A clerk at Oxford University killed a woman and then fled. He had three housemates who were all clerks, or clerks, whichever way you pronounce it. Clerks. Clerks, yes. (laughs) Uh, They were all clerks. And when the authorities couldn't find a killer, and to cut a story probably as short as possible, his three housemates were basically hanged for a form of contempt. So this led to the other clerks fleeing the university and starting one up at Cambridge and one in Reading. 
Now, obviously, the Reading one must have died to death, but the Cambridge one's still going strong from 1209. So Isn't Cambridge that mad, though, that it's now, like, a major rival of Oxford yeah. when it was created from, like, Oxford alumni? Yes, indeed, yes. All based around murder. Um, Love it. So Cambridge itself is more than just a university. It has a population of around 150,000 people, and it's been around in one form or the other since the Roman times. While it's famous for its uni, it's also well known for being the home of a number of high-tech businesses focused on software, electronics, and biotechnology, including AstraZeneca, which we know are the COVID people. That is amazing. I d- again, I did not realise it was on it was on UK soil at uh, Astra. Astra- Zen- uh, how do I say it? AstraZeneca. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, amazing. So on this day, though, it wasn't too bad a day for November. The temperature was... I just realised we're recording this on the 29th of November 2013 and the cr- crime happened on the 29th of November 2019. That okay, makes... we're not in 2013 for a start. That's a good 10 years ago. Oh, 2023, um... I mean. <laughs> but that is spooky, the fact that we are recording um, on this date. And I take it that's completely by accident. Completely by accident, yes. Dun, 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 dun. But anyway, shall we get back into the story so people don't complain? Yes. So Let's on do. this day, it wasn't too bad a day for a November day. The temperature was around 50 de- 53 degrees Fahrenheit, which is around 11 or 12 degrees Celsius. There was no real wind or rain. So it was as good as it was probably going to get for that time of the year, Rachel. Now today, though, the temperature doesn't matter as we're off to Denham Place in Cambridge. Now Denham Place is located on Calderidge Road and it's a supported living complex that holds people who had various medical or psychological conditions, which meant that they were unable to live alone without any additional help, but they could live alone with additional help. So even though the description of Denham Place says that it provides very very minimal support provision of one to three hours per week and that it should be the last step in a supported housing journey before clients are ready to move into their own flats and independent living, in reality, because a lot of the residents there had assured tenancies without going into this uh, and residential law too much that basically means the tenants have more security in their homes than normal so the authorities were reluctant to move people on from Denham Place who needed more care and support than they were designed to get there so one example of one of these people would be Zach Jackson who was 36 years old at the time in question but he'd been living at Denham Place for 10 years up to 2019 and so most definitely not the short term as it should have been Zach, he had a number of mental and physical health conditions that meant while he could live at Denham Place, he couldn't by himself. His mental health conditions manifested themselves usually in the form of antisocial behaviour, several emotionally unstable personality traits, and general misogynistic behaviour. An example of how that manifested was the fact that he, on a daily basis, he would insult women. He would try to provoke random women, strangers to him, while he was out in the street or other public places. He would usually go up to a woman and make a disparaging remark about them, 
And if the woman would challenge him on what he said, he would respond by saying, you heard what I said, before saying something else to the woman. If the woman would then leave or stop talking to him, he would classify this as a win. If they became aggressive to him to try to slap or punch him, for example, he would use that reaction as a way to reinforce his perception of women. So whatever outcome happened, it would basically give him a reason in his own head to carry on doing it. Oh, this doesn't sound good. No, but it was a mental health condition. So he was also somewhat of a recluse. He did prefer to stay in his flat alone than to go out. And if he did go out, he'd even cross a road if he saw someone he knew rather than actually engaging conversation with them. Which is a bit odd, really, because he wouldn't engage in conversation with people he knew but he'd happily abuse women that he didn't know in the street. Yeah, but I guess, like, with the complexity of his, like, mental health disorders being, like, multiple, um, you know, there's no rhyme or reason for some of these actions and behaviours, are there? No, that's true. That's true. He had several obsessions, including Star Trek, and so much so that the amount of books, DVDs and magazines he had on Star Trek meant that he couldn't even watch the TV in his flat because they were piled up in sacks on the floor, covering the screen up. Oh, wow. And I bet I bet that cost a fair bit of money as well. Yeah, it probably did um, cost a fair bit of money. Yeah, well, yeah, with, with all due respect, like, it's still still a high expense, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it is, yeah. So he was also obsessed with conspiracy theories and Eminem. As he, I don't know why my tongue's not working today. As an Eminem? He, yeah, an Eminem. Okay, it's just weird that you put them together. He was also obsessed with conspiracy theories and Eminem. Yeah, because he, the reason why he was associated with him, because he, he associated... Oh my reason, God, is his name Stan? No, the reason why he obsessed with Eminem, the reason why he obsessed with him was because he associated the lyrics with his own life. No, yeah, you're right. He wasn't called Stan. Are you and, sure, though? Yes. He's he's definitely called Zach. So people who didn't know him would often think he was speaking in some sort of tongues, but he wasn't. What he was doing in reality was reciting Eminem lyrics to himself constantly. Yes, Eminem really does like create these obsessions with people, doesn't he? Like he's he's a well liked guy, guy clearly. Yes. So. The medical conditions he suffered were varied, but mainly they were a side effect of the antipsychotic medication that he was on. When his medical symptoms got worse, it would trigger his mental health conditions and make them worse, thus creating a cycle with the mental and physical, each triggering each other. So when this happened, he would often just stay in bed under the duvet until it went away. So this is what he was doing on the morning Oh, do you know what? The crime happened on the 27th of November, not the 29th. Sorry. Um, so what I said earlier is ignore that, everyone. So, <laughs> this is Rachel laughing at me. She does this every day, people. So, I don't, I don't. So this is what he was doing on the morning of the 27th of November, 2019, when his community psychiatric nurse attended his flat to give him his fortnightly intermuscular antipsychotic injection. When he didn't open the door to get the injection, it wasn't really a surprise to the nurse, 
as this was a common thing for him to do, not open his door. So she went to get the manager of the complex, who had a master key, and would let her in. Once the door was open, the manager left the nurse alone, because Zach would often behave better if he was alone with the nurse, as opposed to there being extra people there. Zach didn't want his injection, though, on this day, and he was being vocal about not wanting it. He was laying down on his bed to make it more difficult to administer, and he kept saying that he wanted to be sectioned at Fullborn Hospital, which was a local mental health hospital in Cambridge. Prior to his 10 years at Denham Place, he had spent five years at that hospital. So when the nurse was, was preparing the injection in his bedroom and trying to calm him down and to get him to be cooperative, Zach rose from the bed without warning, putting his arms around her neck and he tried to strangle her. So luckily for the nurse, she was fully trained and experienced. So with her training, she managed to get him off her and she rightly so left his flat after that. She was, however, still a nurse, which in its nature, Rachel, is a caring profession, isn't it? Absolutely. And when you think about it, they put themselves in the line of danger like every day, don't they? With instances like this, not necessarily with all patients, but when it when it comes to a patient that can be violent and especially on record, like you've you've already commented, he was known to be better with individual nurses instead of a collective group of, of nurses. It still wouldn't make you feel any less uneasy yeah. about, about the situation. Exactly right. But she was a good nurse, Rachel, and she was fully trained. So she was concerned about Zach's behavior. That's the only thing that bothered her, how Zach was. Because of this concern, and like I say, the concern was for Zach, not herself, because if it was for herself, she would have just left and reported that he didn't want it. But because of this concern, she went to the same manager's office who had let her into Zach's flat to make contact with Zach's psychiatrist as she felt it was wise if the crisis team needed to come out to Zach to see if he needed to be sectioned or not. So Zach had followed the nurse though to the manager's office and when he arrived there he was still agitated and he would declare that he would kill the nurse, he would kill the manager and he would kill Katie. Now this was seen Rachel by both the manager and the nurse as a cry for help so he would be sectioned. And this was not really faulty thinking either, because Zach had a history of such behaviour when he wanted to be sectioned. Uh, verbal threats, I mean. He would often verbally threaten people to be sectioned. He didn't really have a history of behaviour of anything physical, not much anyway. So what happened in the, his flat against the, with the nurse was actually a change for him. So the nurse got off the phone with the psychiatrist. And she'd been successful in getting the crisis team to come out to see Zach, but not until the next day. So she calmly explained this to Zach, and his reaction was to calm down, and he appeared placated with his news because it seemed like he would get what he wanted, and that was reaffirmed to him. And it also reaffirmed to the nurse and the manager, because he calmed down and was placated, that the verbal threats that he made were just ones like he'd made before, a cry for help to be sectioned. So, Rach, you probably would have noticed a moment ago, I mentioned he said he'd kill the manager, he said yeah. he'd kill the nurse, and I added a random name in there of Katie. So it's probably best I explain who she is now, shouldn't I? 
Yes, please. So like Zach, she was a fellow resident in Denham Place. She lived in a flat directly above Zach, but the pair were not friends. They didn't seem to like each other. Like most of the residents in Denham Place, Katie had her own issues and battles that she was dealing with. She suffered from acute anxiety, and she also suffered from a literal belief and phobia that the sky was going to fall in on her. Oh, dear. It, yeah, it wouldn't matter. How horrible is that? Must it must be debilitating. Yeah. Like, you know, constantly the paranoia that would set in around that. Yeah, and it triggers anxiety as well. Yeah. And it wouldn't matter how often she was told, and it, who told her, be it her professionals or her family, she couldn't shake the belief that any minute the sky would fall in. So while Katie was 51, because of the difficulties she had mentally, it meant that she would behave like a teenager often and scream loudly if she didn't get her own way. And because her flat was above Zach's, he would get annoyed when she played her music loudly. When he would complain to her, her response was just to turn the music up even more. And so he usually tried his best to avoid Katie. It's like classic 15-year-old behaviour though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't like it? I'm going to crank it up. Exactly, yeah, exactly. But that's, that is how she behaves sometimes. So what Zach usually did was he tried his best to avoid her, to avoid confrontation with her. And it's probably, actually, it's not probably, it's probably definitely worth noting that those who actually knew Katie, and it was noted in her extensive reports on her, as well as people just saying it anecdotally, they it was reported that she was mostly kind, considerate, loving and loyal and just because she behaved in a manner like she did at times that wasn't really our choice with her and she was still a good person and her issues definitely didn't define her this makes me really sad because i feel like i can kind of see where it's going yes unfortunately um yes so let's skip forward a little later that day on the 27th of november and by now it is the afternoon obviously because that follows the morning and also, po- <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that, I just realised. And also, port staff at Denham Place had left, and it was just the residents who were there now. Zach was alone in a common room for the building. So how Denham Place was designed, Rachel, is that there was one building that contained all the flats for the, for the residents, and another common room, and another building that had a common room, some toilets, and an office for the staff. And there was actually separate buildings. So because of this, and also the conditions the residents had, most of the time the common room was lightly used. It wasn't really used that much. And on this day, Zach was in there by himself in the afternoon when Katie walked in with one of her friends that lived in Denham Place as well. So the friend that was with Katie left. It was never recorded why, but basically Zach and Katie were alone in the common room and this is when the attack started. Oh, dear. Yes. And I take it, like, obviously they're free to move around, but it would yeah. have been monitored on, like, by a central, like, security team on CCTV, no. right? No. Oh, really? Yeah. No oh, CCTV, yeah. Okay. So, sadly, the outcome of the two of them being together would mean that Katie would lose her life that afternoon. We know that they had an argument because Zach said as much after the fact. What about? No one knows. 
as he didn't say what it was about, and he was the only witness to the argument. Dear. From the friend of Katie, we know that he was calm when he entered the common room. Now, there's absolutely no evidence that Katie was violent towards Zach. He never said that she was, and also her history, she was never violent towards anyone. So whatever, whatever happened physically, it had to have been initiated by Zach. What we do know from medical evidence is that St- Zach strangled her to death with his hands. The medical evidence showed that it would have taken at least 10 seconds of sustained pressure by Zach with his hands before Katie went unconscious, and a further 30 seconds or so of sustained pressure on her neck to cause the other typical signs of strangulation that appeared on Katie. I'm not going into them, but just the other signs of strangulation. It's brutal. Yeah, well, I tell you what is brutal, because unfortunately, while this may indicate that she only had 10 seconds or so of the attack before she fell unconscious, other evidence indicates that the attack lasted for much longer than this, and Katie was conscious during the attack. Katie would be here to shout, and it must have been loud for someone not in the room to hear it. She was here to shout help three times. Oh dear. She also had considerable bruising on her arms that were consistent with them being gripped for a sustained period of time, i.e. being held down. And she had marks in her arms and body that were consistent with her trying to defend herself. And Zach had cuts on himself that were shown to be from Katie's fingernails, defensive wounds from Katie, as she tried to fight back from being attacked. Oh dear. And also, when Katie had shouted for help three times, there was actually another resident who was using the toilet next to the common room, and he was the one that heard her shouting help. Now, he stated that there was no raised voices beforehand, and it was obviously a cry for help that he heard from Katie. Now, I'm just going to use his first name, David, just to make it easy to describe. Okay. But when David heard Katie, he finished in the toilet and he went into the common room and he actually saw with his own eyes Zach strangling Katie. Now he told Zach to stop. Zach did stop and he instead began threatening David, telling him he'll strangle him too while approaching him with his arms raised as if he was going to. So you have to remember here, H, all the residents had different conditions so we can't judge David for what he did, but out no, of fear, absolutely not. exactly. But out of fear, he left the room, and he closed the door behind him, and he held it shut so Zach couldn't follow him. Now, yeah, and do you know what? There's something to be said. Even people that aren't in these situations, you know, and suffering from, um, you know, disorders that kind of affect their ability to think logically. Like in general, when crime is occurring and people are like absolutely sideswiped by it you know it you it's your body behaves in very strange ways do you know what i mean so there's absolutely no saying that it was even down to the fact that um he 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 had to be in this uh facility and, and monitored and looked after that that he behaved like that it could have been just that fight or flight response taking over and him locking in the danger you know yeah yeah, definitely, yeah. So, yeah, actually, yeah, you're 100% right there. He did, though, say in his statement that after this had happened, he then heard Katie scream again. So that shows us that she can't have been unconscious. 
When he heard his scream, he actually went back into the common room and Zach was strangling Katie again. And when Zach saw him and he heard him tell him once again to stop, he again threatened David. So David left once again in fear of his own safety. But this time he phoned the emergency services up at the police and an ambulance. Wow. I mean, great thinking, fast thinking. And when he had done this, he went back into the common room and Zach had gone. Katie was laying on the floor, either unconscious or already dead. Now, it's extremely likely that as Katie was screaming the second time David went in, when Zach stopped strangling her like this, she started screaming again. This means that Zach strangled her on three separate occasions to ultimately kill her. So Zach was arrested and assessed. He was deemed fit to stand trial. He was charged with murder, and his defence would plead guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility, but not guilty to murder. So the trial was largely based around what happened that day and the condition that both Katie and Zach suffered from. Zach's defence was twofold. Firstly, that his mental health conditions meant he had no real control over what he was doing. And secondly, he would have been triggered by Katie screaming at him. So the prosecution's argument, though, was that there was no evidence Katie was screaming at him, as David would have heard it from the toilet. And the fact that Zach stopped and started again three times to carry on strangling her shows that he was in full control of what he was doing, and that is exactly what he wanted to do. You you would hope that in between those attacks, at some point something would have clicked in with him and he'd have, he'd have like almost kind of come back in the room and been like, right, oh my God, can't believe, you know, what's going on here? Do you know yeah. what I mean? And that, yeah. and that conscience would have kicked in. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. You'd hope so, but unfortunately not. So Zach would ultimately be found guilty of murder so was given a life sentence with a minimum term of 15 years. Katie's mum and sister, they both gave moving statements in court about the impact Katie's death had on them, particularly from Katie's mum, who would state in a witness statement that she now suffers from panic attacks and vivid memories of Katie. And as a result, she felt she had no option but to sell her house of 23 years that she lived in in Cambridge and moved to London so Katie's sister, Rebecca, could look after her. Oh dear, so sad. It is, yeah. But before we finish, this brings us to the level of care that was being given to the residents of Denham Place, and if there was anything that could have been done to prevent this tragic death. So two separate reviews took place into Katie's death, and both, both were quite damning, Rachel. Firstly, it did. Firstly, both the reviews did take away any of the blame from the community psychiatric nurse. So, both of them said she did all she could, and she followed all the guidelines. So, I know sometimes we talk about health professionals who cut corners and stuff. In this instance, like she was praised for doing everything that she did. Wow. I just want to put it out, like, see, it's easy just to play, oh, it's the nurse's fault for not doing. But what she did with, like, following up the psychiatrist and stuff like that, she didn't technically need to do any of that. All she needed yep. to do was report he wouldn't have his medication and write it in a report about him. Yeah. But she went the extra steps. It did, however, come out. It was not 
all glowing reviews. It did, however, come out that there was no risk management plan in place or dead in place in regards to what to do to mitigate risk for any of the residents. There was no plan to move residents who had, gradu- who had gradually or quickly gotten worse and needed more support than dead in place could offer. On this day in question, no one had told Katie that a threat had been made against her life. If they had, then this is obviously conjecture, but if they had, she may not have stayed alone with Zach in the common room. You probably wouldn't have done, to be fair. No, I think it would have would, definitely would have led her to make different decisions. And it seems also that just over a year earlier, while it did not publish what it was, there was an incident involving Zach. And when that happened, they actually realised at the time that he had not been risk assessed in over a year prior to that. And when that incident did happen, he was risk assessed, but then he was not assessed again when it should have been regularly up until after he had killed Katie, when he should have been. And inspectors also said that care and support plans were, and I'm quoting here, lacking in terms of being fit for purpose and up to date. And they found that there was often no clear correlation between the individual service support plans and the care plans of a local mental health trust. So what that basically means is the professionals who had created these plans for the people living there, they were just largely being ignored by then in place and not being implemented. Uh, probably because they didn't have enough staff or they weren't trained to do that, but that's a different story. Mm-hmm. So a few months after Katie's death, the reports were published and various charities and bodies came out condemning the council and then in place, saying that nothing had changed to her since her murder. But the council came out in response and it said it was satisfi- satisfied sufficient changes had happened and were ongoing. I mean, who's who's right and wrong? Someone's got to be yeah. in that situation. And actually, as well, like... When you are looking at prosecuting someone and there are also failings in the system, like how are the people that fail to implement the changes not liable for prosecution in future? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, I get you because I know what I was thinking, Rachel, right? When it's a private company, like I think it would a private company, but you know, I mean, when it's business and it's not yeah. like health related. They have things, what do they call it? They call it, um, I can't remember what they call it, but basically, like the chief execs and stuff, they can be held responsible for deaths and stuff that happens. Oh, corporate, um, corporate manslaughter. Corporate manslaughter, yeah. yeah. So if that can happen in a private world where, say, someone has an accident on a workplace or something, why can't that happen in this situation? Ma- that's mad. Yeah. And and but I'm talking about like it's after the fact that someone has died. There are families impacted by this case on both sides because the you know Zach at the end of the day committed a crime. His family have lost lost you know him as well. So he's been like handed his sentencing. His life changes forever. Like that that home Denim Denim Place. Yes. Yeah, they have responsibility to deliver the key changes that are required so that this does not happen again well that's it we, we don't know because like the um 
I think the charity was 100 Voices. I could have that wrong, though. But there's a couple of charities came out and a few bodies saying that they've done nothing to make any changes and it was still as bad as it was. But then the council came out and said, no, we're satisfied that they've made enough changes and the changes are still ongoing. So who to believe here? They didn't deny, the council didn't deny that what all the two reports were found were um, true. I mean, they didn't say that that wasn't happening. They just said, no, they fixed it now. But, yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? Doesn't sit right, no. But any, any further questions or comments? Right. What a, what a sad ending. Like, you know, Katie's lost her life. Zach's life changes irrevocably. Like, Katie's family end up suffering you know, Katie's mom had to completely relocate, didn't she, to be with her yeah. her, uh, her daughter to cope. And she would like to be in her, if Katie was 51, she's like, it's going to be at least like yeah. 70, isn't she? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's heartbreaking and it's impacted so many people. And like, it, sh- it really just shocked me in these facilities because they're like, um, is it is it like, is it called sheltered accommodation? No. Where... It's assisted, it's like semi-assisted living is what they call them. Yeah. I don't, I don't I think, think they I yeah. don't think they use the term sheltered anymore. Sorry, assisted living. Um surprises me that they don't have the basics like CCTV footage in these facilities when there are people that can be, you know, like you highlighted earlier, it was a surprise that there was no process in place for people that were escalating their behavior. That's clearly something that happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's common. So why wouldn't there be a need to have extra monitoring? Only, I'm not talking about privacy, like be everyone's entitled to their privacy and their own personal spaces, but in a common area, shared area, why there no, wouldn't be that? It comes down to money, doesn't it? Yeah. These maybe. places operate on like a tender basis, don't they? And so they have to show to be the most efficient. I'm not saying it's right, but I think that's what it comes down to. Uh, and it plus these places also, and I can say this from experience of knowing people in my personal life, these places have a high turnover of staff because it's such yes. hard work, especially when they're doing stuff. Don't forget, this is supposed to be like a temporary place for people. Yeah, and good point. Like, that could be there for 10 years. Yeah. So, oh no, absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? I take my hat off to the um people that that do work in these places. I can only imagine how mentally draining it would be, and um at times like just like un unrewarding as well. If you if you're just being threatened or told off or shouted at or like constantly you know managing these situations that are stressful yeah i i take my hat off to the staff that that work in these places but on the flip side going back to what you said if they had proper things in place enough staff and they the right type of people in there so they're supposed to be for people who were almost ready to live by themselves then there wouldn't be those pressures on the staff and the staff would stay longer and be able to give better care as well, wouldn't they? So Yeah, yeah. Um, heartbreaking every, though, isn't it? It is heartbreaking. And the reason I bring stories like this, people, is because we could be 
a true kind pod that brings you just all the well-known cases. And we do bring you well-known cases. We brought you one last week on Ashley Dale. Rachel always does a really good job in them. But you have to have that balance as well, don't you? If you we have to make awareness like crimes like this are happening and why? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, I like doing the bigger cases because I like kind of diving in definitely from the research and discovery part of the the script. I like diving further into the detail and not just scratching the surface with what you read and see in the papers or yes. on the news. Um, but I take my hat to you looking at these cases that are less popular um, you know, they're not new, almost like headline worthy, are they? Which is a real shame because at the end of the day, someone's life has been taken. Um, but yeah, um, the fact that you do bring us unique cases and, and dive into um, those kind of ones where we don't really know a lot about the victim, but you're bringing that information forward and, and helping us like understand what's gone on there is um, is really nice. Okay, as nice shall, as it can be. Yes. Shall I have this one up there, Rachel? Yeah. I mean, I know you don't like taking compliments. So, yeah, let's go for it. I'll take that one on the chin. Um, no, that's the wrong expression, isn't it? Anyway, I'll, yeah. um, let's wrap this one up. <laughs> so, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like all of you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. So often we put our trust and our faith in these facilities to both look after the people who are placing them, but also to safeguard everybody else. The question is, should we? And we've touched on that, but I'll let you think about that. So thank you, everyone, and we shall be back next week. Next week or next year. Dun, 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 dun. No, I'm like, we're pre-recording this, guys. Yes. Yeah, so um, don't worry, we'll be back next week. We will be back next week, yes. Um, Okay, bye all.